coming up next on The Health Hustle. Start with adding value. I think there's a lot of mistrust to people that haven't used trainers a long time or it's not in their kind of lifestyle to use a trainer and and you might be their first one like give away a session or two when i hear i've talked to entrepreneurs whether trainers or or chiropractors or whatever and they they just refuse to do a free session like they'll discount it but man get people in your door care for them show them an incredible experience and then like show them how valuable it would be and then talk to them about the next step. I just feel like so often we're, we're so quick to charge money. You know, we're so quick to like, you know, well, I'm worth a hundred bucks an hour. Maybe you are, but that person doesn't know that yet. They don't know what the value is like. They haven't felt it yet. Invite them to your gym or to your space. Create an amazing experience for that hour. Like go be above and beyond. And then have a conversation after that and say, I just, I'd love to support you on your journey. How can I do that? Right? And I, I like to offer ways that I can do that for free. Hey, you know, I can, that can be as simple as like, I'm just going to shoot you a text once a month, check in, see how you're doing. Or we can work together one-on-one a couple times a week. Or, you know, and I have various options that they can do, but like give them whatever, whatever the road they need right now, be a part of that road. Mm. As opposed to trying to like fit them in your like construct of like this is how my business is going to work. You probably don't have any idea how the future is going to look. Like, be open to to that relationship and what that relationship needs to to be in order to be successful for them. Hey folks, and welcome to the Health Hustle of Austin, Texas. On this show, we distilled down the big ideas from your fellow health and fitness entrepreneurs in the Austin, Texas area about how they built their business and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Corey Hibben. On this episode, I had a chance to sit down with my guy, Barton Bryan of the Mindset Forge. We actually literally sat down in his kitchen and hashed out this interview, and it was a ton of fun. He's by far one of the most interesting fitness enthusiasts I've had on the show yet. Barton has experience with opera singing, acting, volunteering in the Peace Corp, and of course, starting his own podcast. On this episode, we get into the fitness superstars that had the biggest effect on him, how he got into acting in the first place, his experience in the Peace Corp in West Africa, how he got his first client as a trainer, the value of coaching in all areas of your life, the biggest mistakes gyms are making in today's market, the resurgence of community and connection, and so much more. If you haven't already, do us a huge favor and please subscribe and write us a review. This show is about helping health and fitness professionals to build a business that fits your lifestyle and by giving review it helps other people find the show and join us on the journey if you're looking for simple and actionable tips on how to market and grow your health business click the link in the description and sign up for my three tips tuesday newsletter three tips every tuesday to help you keep those leads coming also if you need help with building your website i have a free checklist guide specific for health and fitness professionals that you can find on my website without further ado mm, let's go barton brian welcome to the show how you doing man doing great man thanks so much thanks for being here yeah in your house doing yeah. this live in person yeah love it how does a what does a bodybuilder do for cardio? Let me tell you something. A very wise MMA fighter told me one time, "Don't do cardio; it makes you weak." No, <laughs> uh, you know I'm I'm in a place where I'm bulking, so I'm eating like crazy and I'm you know working out as heavy as I can and kind of just going through a real like phase of trying to build muscle. So I'm limiting my cardio because I don't want to pull energy focus away from the, the the muscle gains and you know just to do cardio and kind of look good in the moment i'd rather 
I'm going through, uh, you know, trying to level up that, that amount of size right now. And as tall as I am, that's, that's always a challenge. So, or you could just lift weights faster. I mean, that's always an option. Yeah, (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go back to a little bit origin story with you. So before recording, we kind of got into some of this stuff, but I'm actually most interested to start off back when, like, how did you first get into working out and training? Like, I know we touched on a little bit when you were a teenager. Can you tell people that story a little bit? Well, I'm one of those kids, so I'm old enough to have grown up, you know, with Rocky movies and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's, you know, Commando and Terminator and all these movies. And it really, it was just mind-blowing as an 11, 12-year-old, just this bigger-than-life presence on screen and just absolutely was enamored with Arnold specifically and, and bodybuilding too because, of course, that was where he came from. And I just remember like literally at 12, like buying muscle and fitness magazines. Everyone thought I was so weird. I remember bringing muscle and fitness magazines to school and like showing my friends and they looked at me like there was something off on with this guy. But yeah, I was just, that was my thing. I just loved the idea of working out. And in Davis, California, where I was from, they didn't let 12 year olds go into the weight room. You had to be 13 and so it was like countdown time waiting to my 13th birthday to be able to like enter the weight room and uh and start training so of course at home i'd have little like cement dumbbells that you could buy at you know the local store and all that kind of stuff but it was you know from a very early age i was determined to to do bodybuilding or build my my body and my physique and then the first thing you probably did was bicep curls when you got in there right (laughs) You know, it's funny. I remember doing a lot of pullovers and kind of tricep skull crushers. Mm. I don't know why. And, uh, but yeah, I, I'm sure I did lots of biceps too, but, uh, but yeah, I, there's something about pullovers and, and tricep, uh, skull crushers that I just remember doing that a lot. And I think maybe, maybe it made my arms pump a little bit better than bicep curls. And I was probably into that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's fast forward a little bit here. So started working out when you're 12, 13 years old, obviously super into it, following all the idols, and then eventually found yourself into college when went a completely new path. Can you tell people <clears throat> what you did and why you decided to do a new path there? Yeah, so when I graduated high school, I moved to San Diego, and I was still just gung-ho about bodybuilding. And I, the mecca for bodybuilding in San Diego was the PV Gold's gym. And it's where, like, uh, Milo Sarsev and, and, like, some amazing, like, professional bodybuilders were. And so I, like, lived at San Diego State, but they would commute 25 minutes to PV to go to the Gold's gym there and work out with all the greats. And, but while I was in school, I took a singing class. Just like I had two five uh you know like with uh units i had a five units calculus class and a five unit uh, physics class because i thought i was gonna be a physics major that's a whole nother story and and i needed two more units to get a full load so i took a singing class for two units and i showed up in class and i don't i never sang before in my life i always wanted to but i never did and it just wasn't my thing and i took this class and the first thing we had to do is get up and sing and I have no idea what I sang, but like I got so much feedback, like, whoa, hey, oh my gosh. And here I'm this big kind of like, you know, I mean, what I thought, I mean, I was big for maybe 18. I was tall and, and muscular. And so I just got a lot of feedback and I loved it. And it was something that was completely new and completely me. And there was something very authentic about it. And so I was like, wow, this, this feels really cool. This feels really different. And so I started down that path of, 
like discovering my voice and discovering music and, and just going a different route, kind of getting away from science, physics, and math. It seems so counter to somebody that's into health and fitness. So like, if obviously nobody can see you, but you're like a big guy, like you're very, you look very muscular, you're very tall. And for somebody to go into singing or opera specifically seems kind of unique. What, what was the interest there for you? Just because you got good feedback or like, did you have history with that? Where does that come from? So I, I did play piano growing up. I had, I was a Suzuki piano player, which means you learn by ear. And my father was a musician. He played uh, harmonica, jazz harmonica. So there was music in my life growing up, but never singing. It was never, I never was in the choir, none of that stuff. I'll tell you something that, I think really made a, a mark for me was I was in junior high and or maybe even younger and there were like football was a huge tradition at Davis High School and there were two guys that were like what both went on to be pro football players one of them was a guy named Jason Fisk and I went to a high school musical of Pirates of Penzance and Jason Fisk this six foot five 270 pound linebacker is in it doing cartwheels and singing and i just lost my mind because it's like how does that even happen right but i remember in that moment going like i could never do that but i wanted so badly to do that right like the idea of being on stage and like being that free and being that like expressive as this incredible athlete who would go on to play uh, you know nfl football like it just blew my mind so that was like one of those little like just nuggets that was implanted and then I remember in junior high, I wanted to try out for some you know, sh singing thing, never did. High school, I had some friends in the jazz choir, never auditioned, never even told anybody I wanted to audition. So it was there, there was like an inkling to discover something about myself. But you know, high school, I mean, you, like, you're just holding on for dear life sometimes with your, you know, with, at least for me, it's like you know, trying to fit in, trying to be, you know, whatever. I was a basketball player, it just wasn't in my lane. Hmm. And so I think when I went to college and it was really just me at this college, I didn't have my high school friends there. It was really my decision, my time to find out who I was. I think it was just like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go for it and see what happens. So you saw somebody that was able to bring these two worlds that really don't often exist together. And you were like, huh, I wonder if I can also explore that avenue. I mean, I, I wish I had that intellectual thought at the time, but I mean, I think it just, yeah. I mean, at that very early age where, you know, you hear about these, you know, Jason Fisk was four or five years older than me. So you hear about these guys were gods, right? I saw them at the athletic club, the place that I would go work out when I was 13, 14. He would be at the gym doing like deadlifts with 400 pounds. I mean, it, you just unthinkable things. He was so big, like, but then to see him on stage doing a cartwheel and Pirates of Penzance, like it's just you know like it's incomprehensible and so but i do think that that did plant a seed that like okay athletes can do that too hmm. and i think that was the this the thing that i realized when i started singing and the great thing about the singing class i took in college was that it really it was just like go up there take any song you want to sing the teacher would play it on piano and you would just go for it. And then she would give you feedback and the audience, the class would give you feedback too. So it was really like an audition class. It was just like, hey, get up there and sing. It wasn't choir. It wasn't, you know, some structured thing where you had to do it their way. It was really about self-expression and just kind of finding your voice. Hmm. So it was a perfect introduction to singing. Well, just when you didn't think this story could get any more interesting or uni unique, let's kind of go into the next chapter of like, so what did you do after college? 
Yeah, so I, I follow my passion for singing and I end up at Cal State Northridge and I really have to start over. And so one of the things, you, even if you kind of do the, the chronological math, like I graduate, I went to graduate high school in 1993. I don't graduate college until 2001. So there's a lot of time where I'm kind of figuring things out in college. So I go to Cal State Northridge, I do four years of undergrad because I was in the music department. Then I take off for a year abroad. I went to the south of France, got a minor in French and traveled all around France, traveled to West Africa, North Africa, and uh, other parts of Europe, and I just got the travel bug. And I'm like, I don't wanna travel, I wanna go live somewhere, I wanna go find something I can do where I'm like, just, you know, I mean, in this kind of romantic like way, like I wanna put myself in the hardest position and try to like figure it out and see if I can handle it. And like, almost kind of like a, like what would happen if I lived in Africa as a Peace Corps volunteer? And the reason Peace Corps came up was when I was in Morocco, hitchhiking around, I bumped into a guy from my high school on a bus going from uh, Marrakesh to Asuera. He's on the same bus as me. And I'm like, Mike, what, are you kidding me? Like, I don't even know how I recognize him. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, I just got out of Peace Corps Senegal. I was a beekeeper, lost my mind. Like, you know, like another like just explosion of like, what? (laughs) And so when I went back, when I got back to the United States after my time in Europe, I just, that, that thing, like, oh, Peace Corps. Oh, that is, I know about that. I should find out more about that. And so I came back. I had one more semester to graduate. Started researching Peace Corps. Interviewed. Got accepted. Got a letter that I was going to Mauritania, West Africa, all in about two months. And it was about two months before I graduated. So I graduate June 2nd. I fly out to Africa June 3rd of that, 2001. Do you feel like that was like where you were supposed to be? Like, do you have any regrets or remorse or like, would you do anything differently? No. And, and you know, I think there is, there's always a part of a young man's life or people that I think we, we are running towards something and we're also probably running away from other things too. And so I always want to like have that perspective that, that by going to Peace Corps right after my, four years as a, as a voice major, I was also kind of saying something about like not following my pursuit of, of voice. Mm. Right. And I did end up going to uh, New York City and, and, and pursuing acting and singing in a different way, but, but it, it, was, it was a really great idea to do Peace Corps, but it was also probably a way to not deal with my fear of failure in the professional singing world. Right? And I think that's, I think we oftentimes, we, we get so, you know, the grass is greener concept, whether it's chasing a new, you know, thing that you want to you know, buy or, you know, new relationship, new adventure. There's always that kind of duality, I think, in those types of things. I don't regret any of it because I love who I am right now and, and all the kind of crazy things that I've done and, and how they all kind of somehow have come, come together in this moment and right now with, with the things I love to do and, and the journey that I'm on. So no regrets, but you know, it's good to have perspective that like, hey, probably more than one thing was happening at that time that was pushing me to go you know, follow, follow my, my adventure to go to Africa. What did you learn from the Peace Corps and how do you feel like that impacts you now? After all the excitement of like getting there and, and going through language, you know, 
training and, and learning about all the different cultural things, you get sent to a village. And I got sent to Jajibine, West Africa, or Jajibine in the southern part of Mauritania, which is more of the black African communities. And when you get there, you're dropped off, and the Peace Corps director says, all right, good luck, and then it's it. Like, there's no phones, there's no TV, there's, you're completely cut off to the outside world. The, the drive back to the capital was nine hours, most of it off-road on the back of a pickup truck. So it's, you're just by yourself. And 9-11 hadn't quite happened yet. We were, I, I got sent there like a month before 9-11 happened. And so there's just, you just have to deal with the fact that like, you made this decision, here you are, what are you gonna do with it? Like what, what are you, me, Barton, at 26 years old, what am I here to do? How can I be, how can I make sense of this? And some people can't, and they don't find a way to can do that, and a lot of people, 50% of the volunteers that went to Mauritania uh, tend to come back, tend to leave early, because it's just too much. Um, but once I kind of got over myself, I had to journal a lot, and I had to figure some stuff out, and I had to get rid of some really kind of romantic and delusional like ideas of myself, and you know, what I was doing. I just kind of embraced the reality that I'm here to, to bring, you know, some new ideas and to, to, to challenge this community to kind of stretch themselves and, and, and find ways to solve their own problems. And I just, I think I really loved just being valuable to people, like being valuable to others and like figuring out this community. It's, you know, it's a huge puzzle figuring out this community of 2,500 people. It's a caste system. So like the family you live in means everything and the, like the year you were born means a lot. And you, you really get kind of, you have to kind of deal with like, there's so many moving parts to why they do certain things and why they don't. And, uh, but I just, I just tried to like figure out what their needs were uh, and then try to solve them, try to connect them with people that could help solve them too. Cause that was a big part of the problem is they were so disconnected from the government. And so they didn't really have people they could reach out to, to help them. They actually did it on their own. They had people in France that would send money back uh, to help them build stuff and, and find, you know, find money to, to fix their situation. But it was just, you know, it was really about getting out of my own way and learning to just, you know, wake up in the morning, stretch, do push-ups, do lunges. I was always working out. It was kind of the funny American thing to do. But then what can I do today to kind of move this community forward, you know, 1%? And I just fell in love with it. I, I spent the whole two years, I, I'm in constant contact with all of them because half of them are on Facebook now. And I'll get random calls from like my host brother who was three years old when I was there and now he's 21. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's incredible what's happened and, and how connected I'm still in with that community. Well, it says a lot about your entrepreneurial spirit of the, that idea that I heard you say a couple of times of just like wanting to figure out how to add value to this community. I think a lot about that. Actually, a book I'm reading right now, if you ever read uh, Go-Givers, but like the, one of the main principles of that book is that like, obviously be a giver is really the main thing, but really behind that is like figuring out ways to add value to people's lives is like literally the whole game, right? And that's so rooted in what entrepreneurship is, right? Is like people often have this like misconception about it's like, you're just trying to get rich and make a money and have the next, next startup. But like the ones that are actually fulfilling, and don't get me wrong, that exists, but the ones that are more fulfilling are like this idea of just like adding value. Do you see that in your life now today with the stuff you do with personal training? 
Definitely. And I think the, it feels great to know that I, that I've been doing something so long or, you know, with personal training or just coaching people and, and that I can really help somebody kind of turn that light on for themselves with like, you know, I mean, with personal training and, and, and fitness in general, it's such a, I can't, I can't, okay, maybe, you know, it's like this slow process of like, yes, I feel it. Yeah. Hey, I got this right. And then, and to be a part of that process and to see someone's kind of, you know, world just turn around and, and get momentum and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's awesome. And I think I, I think I really felt that maybe for the first time with my community. I mean, they're, you know, last time I heard they had built a dam near the community and like nobody helping them. There's no Peace Corps volunteer anymore. They're doing it themselves. They just probably needed me to say, hey, look what's possible if we kind of get together and solve some problems. And so I think that, that I got the bug of like, hey, it feels great to help people solve their problems. It feels great to help uh, other people just, you know, with what they need, solve what they need, not what I tell them they need. Do you remember your first client as a personal trainer? I honestly think if you go back even further, uh, in I when I was in college, you know, in in the voice department, you know, you have a lot of kids that grew up in the choir, grew up in arts and theater, and really had no connection with the gym and with a lot of them didn't play sports. They were just on the kind of you know, just like I stayed in my lane as an athlete and a you know a fitness guy. They were in their own lane, being a singer, an actor, or whatever, and they would ask me, or I would kind of pull them over to the gym and help them, you know, work out and learn how to do it. And I just remember, just I mean, this was, you know, when I was 21, 22, and and I just remember loving, just you know, getting them involved, showing them what to do, like getting them getting so excited about how much stronger they're getting and asking questions and getting curious and all that kind of stuff, and and just kind of being a guide for them. Hmm. Uh, I just remember, and specifically one of my best friends, uh, Andrew Samonski, who, who now is on Broadway, and he's the leading man with the shirt off because he's like, you know, super ripped, and, and that's his whole like, you know, that's why he, you know, he's, he's not, he's, it's not successful because he looks like that, but that he plays that role. But when, when we started training, he was just the skinny kid with long hair and great voice, and, and you know, together we went on this incredible like fitness journey which, uh, you know, kind of shaped the rest of his life in a sense. Just to give people context, so you worked as a personal trainer at Lifetime here in Austin before kind of branching off and doing your own thing. What do you kind of contribute the sustained success of your business from that standpoint of like, is it just because you feel like you've been able to maintain those relationships? Are you just really good at meeting people? Is it just because you like genuinely care and want to help people? Like what, what do you contribute it to? I think it's a combination of two things. You got to know what you're doing. You got to know how to get results from people and how to motivate people to be their best. And I think I'm. I think I've developed that ability uh, over the course of the last, you know, 15 years or so. And the other thing is, I, I am. I'm a very social person. I, I there's not one person I've ever met that I didn't want to talk to. Um, I just had to learn their language in order to do it. Uh, but I, um, yeah. So I, you know, I've been very fortunate to to keep really great clients uh, throughout the course of my, my time here in Austin over the last 15 years and, and you know, branch off on my own and train them uh, independently and then start my own boot camp and just find various ways. One of the great things about the fitness industry, just like any entrepreneurial kind of sector, is like there's not one way to be a trainer. You know, there's one-on-one, there's small group, there's boot camps, there's online, there's 
programming. I mean, there's all these ways that we can interact. And I think that's more true now than it's ever been. Because of COVID, because everyone had to go online, it's like that whole space just blew up. And now we're all back in person and you can do all the things you used to do, plus all these new ways. And so there are people out there making great money and an incredible impact from just doing online training or just doing virtual coaching or whatever and living in that space. And then there's others that can you know, kind of do the old fashioned way of like gym work and, and, and have those you know, one-on-one relationships and, and help people that way. I just, I, I love that about Austin, first of all, I think, you know, there's not a better city to be a trainer in because everyone like at least cares about fitness or knows it's important. And, and I think there's just parks and recs and the, the way that Austin's set up, there's really just opportunities abound for, for trainers and for people who want to make an impact in that way. And I've just tried to leverage, you know, all of them. And I just, I never believed that there was one way to do it. Mm. You know, I've been a camp gladiator trainer and now regional director for, I mean, it'll be 10 years this, uh, this summer and um you know i love training boot camps i love that outdoor boot camp experience i love creating like it it's almost like a show you know there's so much energy and you're trying to get people interacting your team games and competitions and relays and it's just like a big a big event right but then i love the one-on-one training too i don't i don't like one more than the other i don't pigeonhole myself virtual is the same way and and now programming for people i just connected with a five high school kid who's 15 who was a soccer player and he wants to get stronger and i'm like yes right and he lives in california and i'm going to do some coaching with him like those that's i love that i love that piece of this uh you know the fitness community that i'm in so you're dabbling in all avenues so you have in-person online group style you're doing it all are you doing nutritional stuff too no okay that's that's really where i and and i'm actually uh going to be getting my issa nutrition cert in a few months here but because i i feel like that's maybe a place that i i can still grow as a as a um, coach mm. is understanding better that and i'll tell you too one of the best things i did was just about a year ago i hired a programming coach you know i'm i'm an aspiring bodybuilder even at 47 i'm, I'm an aspiring bodybuilder i'm my my goal is to do a show in 2023 you know at 6'4 <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> figure out how to do that but i yeah i want to do a show in 2023 and i'm like I want to get coached. I want to hire someone to give me the, the, the program and to set goals with me and all that kind of stuff. And doing that, it just transformed the way I did that for other people because I learned from him. I learned from my coach, Cody, and, and I, it really expanded the way that I was able to coach other people and program for other people and that kind of stuff. And that, so that's been a major uh, acceleration of my understanding of, of impact through coaching through programming and that kind of stuff yeah as somebody who's i've done a couple shows i did them pre-covid and as someone who also knows a lot about just fitness and nutrition i can't say enough about like the value of having a coach not from the standpoint of like it was knowledge that i was missing but from the standpoint of it was somebody to point out my subjectiveness because we all get wrapped up in our own bs of like what we think we should be doing and you need somebody objective to look at you and go nah man like this is what you should be doing and really taking your feelings and your emotions out of it because it should be a very objective thing to compete in a show like that is like it's not about like how you feel at this moment it's about like what's going to give you the best results and like i've seen so much value in that from fitness to 
business to everything in between, right? It's like just the value of having an objective opinion of somebody to look at you and point out your blind spots. Do you have coaches outside of the fitness world as well? Absolutely. I have a podcast and I have a podcast coach. And I'm considering, I, I'm looking into doing uh, public speaking and I'm considering hiring a public speaking coach. I, I'm just, I think the idea of me taking on or, or anybody taking on a new medium or profession and not having some sort of guidance that's uh, kind of regular is to me a terrible idea. I mean, I think we can, you know, there's always exceptions to the rule and I'm, I'm not saying anybody's doing anything wrong, but like I'm, I have personally felt even as motivated as I am on a daily day basis to, to show up at the gym and to do the, all the right things and, and understand the whole theory behind um, hypertrophy and, and bodybuilding, having a coach program in my workouts is better. It solves so many problems, like you said, blind spots. Just whether I'm motivated or not, I got to hit these numbers. I got I got to hit these many sets. I got to do this. This is where we're headed, knowing the, the plan and all that kind of stuff. And and I just think you know where it's possible financially, uh, we should all lean into hiring coaches, hmm. and and you know make sure they're reputable, make sure they're they're the right people for you. But you know I just think it's a it's a way to exponentially grow your understanding and your knowledge and and move into that place that you want to be in become an expert you know 10 times faster than probably trying it on your own yeah you touched on something earlier about just like the thriving health and fitness community here in austin and uh actually there's actually a new gym called los campiones i don't know if you heard of it but they're from where i'm from back in minneapolis is where they started okay and they just opened another gym here in austin super awesome gym big shout out to them uh tim is one of the guys that owns it but so this is a question i've never really been able to ask on the show and like i think you're the perfect person to ask this question what do you think are the mistakes that the gyms or fitness industry is making? Not even necessarily just in Austin, but just in general. Like, what are the what are the mistakes you see show up in the industry? That's an easy question for me because I, I feel it. If you think about a boot camp, and I'll, just, I'll transition back to the, your question in a second, but think about a boot camp. It's a park. It's a dirty parking lot, usually at five thirty in the morning or six in the morning, or 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 a park with bugs in the grass. And you got a mat and maybe a pair of dumbbells and you got a trainer. And why do people do it? Because they have a community, they have a connection, they have a place where they belong. I'm old enough to remember cheers. Norm, right? Cliff, right? You wanna go where everyone knows your name. Like Starbucks had that whole concept. Like, hey, we wanna create a space that people feel like it's their second home, it's their home away from home. And when you talk to most people who didn't grow up like me, like gym rats like me, we don't care. You give me any gym, I'll make it work, right? But most people, when they show up in the gym, the experience is poor. They don't feel cared for, they don't feel noticed, they don't feel guided. They need all those things. And so unless they're willing to hire a personal trainer, which is now gonna probably, I mean, 100 to $150 an hour these days in Austin, Texas, you know, for somebody who didn't just start in, in the industry, that's not, that's not feasible for most people. So I think so often what gyms miss is, is a culture of belonging and, and not a culture of, and I, I get the whole idea of like uh, Planet Fitness, like with the whole no lugs or whatever. I mean, it was a, it was a cute concept, but I think we, we, we wanna, people wanna go someplace where, you know, the front desk, they know your name, right? When you get in there, even if the trainer doesn't train with you, 
but they've seen you in there four or five days a week because that's the time they work, they're patting you on the back and saying, hey, I see you in here. You're doing awesome. Keep it up. Like, wow, wouldn't that feel different? But how many people's experience going to the gym is they walk up, they're nervous, they go up to the treadmill, like there's, you know, they just kind of do what they've done their whole life and it never really works and they never really believe it's going to work and they quit. And then nobody calls them when they quit until their credit card expires and then they get a phone call and say, hey, your credit card's expired. Like, and that's a joke, but it's not, right? And I think, I think as, I think in Austin we've, you know, there is a, there is, you see more, you see more, I like the term sticky memories. This is something that like summer camps, kind of a term that comes from summer camp, like, but like when your kid goes to summer camp, you want to, you want to create these awesome like memories that they come back with and they're just like, they'll never forget when they bounced off that thing into the lake and, you know, and I think as businesses or as, as trainers, as entrepreneurs, as, as gyms, Where's the opportunity to create a sticky memory with somebody so that when next time they come to the gym, they're like, God, that Jerry guy always knows my name. He always says hi to me. I just, that's awesome. Or he spotted me even though he's not my client. You know what I mean? Like as trainers, we don't realize how powerful we are. We represent fitness at the gym that we're at. And I think that's a huge space that if we, if trainers understood how important that role is, and how powerful that could be for the every person walking in, God, I think that it could revolutionize the culture of a gym. You're hitting on something I've never thought of before until just now listening to you talk, was that I've always thought that there was kind of the two models of a fitness, business, gym, whatever, in today's world. You have the one where it's like your Planet Fitness where you charge a very cheap fee, and most of those people don't actually ever even show up to the gym, so you somehow make a profit from that. Or there's the other model where exactly what you're talking about is that they have a community base of like people are know they're known there they love the people there they love the connection they actually feel like it's somewhere where they belong if you're somewhere in between those i feel like oftentimes you don't really have a lot of success but you made me think about how i feel like that idea of community and being known and being name based with people isn't only just gyms but i feel like that's really what a lot of business is becoming now where you're seeing so many more people open to the ideas of like freelancers and contract work and one-on-one -on -one with people and instead of going to the big corporate walmart or amazon or whatever not that people don't still use those things but i feel like even from like uh, you want to have locally grown, right? You want to know the farmers. You want to know where you're buying your food or um, who's like taking care of, we'll say, like cleaning your house or whatever the things are. Is like we want those intimate relationships and connections now. I feel like now that we're more connected than ever before, I see that play out actually in a lot of industries now. I think there was a huge swing to like convenience. You know, Amazon is the ultimate convenience. I mean, they, they're going to drone the, the packages to our house pretty soon, right? Like... Walmart too, and, and cheap, cheap and convenient was like the king for a while. And I think it's, there's a swing back, kind of a pendulum swing back to a little bit more local. I mean, you think about France, like the local boulanger who made the bread every morning and you went to walk down and you got your baguette and your, you know, pain au chocolat. And then you walk back and you had breakfast and like, that's, that's something that we in America, we really didn't, we don't, we never had that in our culture. But during the you know pandemic, during the quarantine, my you know you wanted to go e get eggs and bread, like I would go to La Crema, which is a bakery over here on Brody, 
and you'd have to like text in your order and then you know they would bring it out but like the bread was like seven dollars but it was still hot and it was like it was fresh out of the oven and you got like a dozen eggs and it was almost like a a resurgence of this kind of the local grocer kind of experience because you know that's kind of how things were being done hmm. but i do think there's a whether we've been so dang isolated from COVID and now we're like some, I mean, not everybody. I know that a lot of people are still feeling very isolated, but I think there's an urgent, there's a kind of a resurgence of like connection and, and, um, and just like wanting to be around people that actually know who you are, care. You're not just a number or a customer that passes through. hundred percent. Yeah. And I didn't even think about it till we just started talking about that of like this craving for connection and community. And I think it's another reason too, why like so many people have come here to Austin is that there is that thriving connection and community and like people that are very open and genuine and want to talk and have a conversation and actually get to know you and go get coffee. Like that's very rampant in this town and people can feel it. And I think it's like very addictive for a lot of people, honestly. Yeah. So I have one more question. Before I ask that question, though, where can people find you? Where can people find out more about you? Give people the details. Absolutely. Uh, so Instagram, at Barton Guy Brian. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes, I'm sure. Uh, and then my podcast, The Mindset Forge. This has uh, come out of you know quarantine, too. It's like, you know, I had aspirations of being a public speaker and really getting in front of large groups. And, and then COVID happened, and I was like, I gotta, I've got to find a different medium. And I found a, a podcast called The Ed Milet Show. And... It, I just like this guy. First of all, this guy is my, my hero because he's an amazing you know, human being. And, and, and I just loved everything about his podcast. But it's like, I want to do this. This is something that really resonates with me. And so I created uh, the Mindset Forge podcast in 2020. And I'm about 50 episodes in. And so we're you know, fellow podcasters and mm-hmm. here in Austin. And, and, and in a similar vein, you know, it's, it's, it's athletes and performing artists talking about how to show up big for the moments of life and in their sport or in their performance art. And it kind of brings together a lot of the things that I love about performance art, you know, and, and also, of course, sports and fitness and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just been an absolute wonderful journey to be on this. And so the Mindset Forge podcast, uh, my Instagram account, uh, and I'm always available if you want to, if anyone wants to reach out and connect with me, I'd love to help however I can. Yeah, and uh, I've definitely listened to the show and fully supported, and it's actually really, really good. So I definitely think people should check it out. So. Likewise. And that's why I'm on your show because I got to listen to a few episodes and I'm like, this guy's doing it right. So (laughs) appreciate that. Before I ask my last question, I just want to acknowledge you for the fact that you are so focused on just adding value to people's lives and people's communities and for really stretching yourself and doing some really unique things from going into the Peace Corps to getting into opera and also being a guy that's super fit and healthy and into bodybuilding. I just want to acknowledge the fact that you're changing a lot of lives and you're helping a lot of people. And we all really appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate it. And if anyone's listening to this and they're like, I mean, I feel like we, as I tell my story again, I think like, man, how many teenagers or young adults like feel like they, they're stuck in a lane, you know? And I think there's, I just want, if you're listening to this and you feel like there's another part of you you haven't explored yet, or that's like a dream of yours, go for it. Mm-hmm. Like the best things I've ever done in my life are fine singing, go to the Peace Corps, get back into bodybuilding, meet my wife and, and follow this love affair to Austin, Texas. Like they're all, they were all just like feelings that I jumped on and went for. And they're always, those are the best, you know, parts of my life. All mm. of them. 
And we're glad you ended up in Austin, Texas. Final question for you. So let's say you were to go back to day one of personal training, right? Let's say you were maybe, instead of working for Lifetime, you decided to start your own practice, start your own gym, started seeing just clients on your own. What's maybe the best piece of advice you could give to that person in terms of like mistakes to avoid or things that they could do just to get started and things that they should be focused on and paying attention to? Start with adding value. I think there's a lot of mistrust to people that haven't like use trainers a long time or it's not in their kind of lifestyle to use a trainer and and you might be their first one like give away a session or two when i hear i've talked to entrepreneurs whether trainers or or chiropractors or whatever and they, they just refuse to do a free session like they'll discount it but man get people in your door care for them show them an incredible experience and then like show them how valuable it would be and then talk to them about the next step. I just feel like so often we're, we're so quick to charge money. You know, we're so quick to like, you know, well, I'm worth a hundred bucks an hour. Maybe you are, but that person doesn't know that yet. They don't know what the value is like. They haven't felt it yet. Invite them to your gym or to your space, create an amazing experience for that hour. Like go be above and beyond and then have a conversation after that and say, I just, I'd love to support you on your journey. How can I do that? Right. And I, I like to offer ways that I can do that for free. Hey, you know, I can, that can be as simple as like, I'm just going to shoot you a text once a month, check in, see how you're doing. Or we can work together one-on-one a couple times a week, or, you know, and I have various options that they can do, but like give them whatever, whatever the road they need right now, be a part of that road. Mm. As opposed to trying to like fit them in your like construct of like, this is how my business is going to work. You, know, you don't, probably don't have any idea how the future is going to look like be open to, to that relationship and what that relationship needs to, to be in order to be successful for them. Mm. It reminds me of advice a mentor gave me about get the flow, essentially get people in the door, getting them reaching out to you, wanting you to work with them and then monetize the flow. But that comes second after you add value. So I love that. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Appreciate you being on the show. And thanks again, man. This is great, man. Thank you. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to the show. And I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you're looking for simple, actionable tips on how to market your health and fitness business or need help with your website, just go to coreyhigh.com. Thanks again and keep hustling, my friends.